production. Caroline Mace is an internationally renowned speaker in the fields of human consciousness, mysticism and the science of medical intuition. She has also been one of my wisest spiritual teachers, her wisdom aiding me through some of my most challenging times. Caroline says the soul always knows what to do to heal itself. The challenge is to silence the mind. In this deep conversation, Carolyn and I discuss the power of prayer, why darkness cannot overtake the light, and the ripple effects of kindness. Heaven does not interfere with our choices, but it does guide us. And it does matter if you are kind to someone or if you're not. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is a life of greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Caroline Mace is a prolific writer, teacher and visionary. She's also the best-selling author of Anatomy of the Spirit, Why People Don't Heal and her most recent book, Conversations with the Divine. In this episode, you will learn how to find true happiness from deep within. Caroline, I followed your work for many years and you have a way of translating the complicated and making it so easy to understand Some of the stories and concepts you have told and have taught have transformed my life and my way of thinking in the most magical ways. But I wanted to start out, you are a medical intuitive and you you changed, you shifted your teachings a few years ago to concentrate on the teachings of the soul. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a bit about firstly what a medical intuitive is and why you decided to shift your teachings? I have a skill that allows me to um, assess the energetic components that contribute to the physical health of a person. And eventually, that profile became so complex and rich that it incorporated the soul for me. As I started to to ask deeper and deeper questions about our role in the creation of health, of our health, I realized that I was actually pursuing spiritual matters, and then that eventually led me to deepen my own spiritual life. And eventually, as I got into healing, I realized that healing was the province of the soul, mm. not the mind not this idea of a positive mental attitude, that that's positive mental attitude is all well and fine. But unless you have the power of grace, the mind deals with energy, but the, the soul deals with grace. And you need grace to actually combat the rebooting of life force. Mm that the, the mind is good for recharging your energy, but recharging life is the province of God. What is your definition of grace? Grace is a mystical force. Mm. It's, it's a mystical 
intervention. It's a form of mystical intervention. You know, like for example, everybody has had the experience of being in an argument with somebody. Mm. And in that argument, you go, what happens is, because an argument is essentially a power play, you eventually forget what the subject is and you just simply want to win. You simply want that person to acknowledge your wounds, your injuries. So now the topic is no longer the issue. It's all the one-upsmanship. And then that leads to pulling out old injuries. And then that leads to pulling out bigger and bigger issues. Finally, if you're really, if you're really bloodthirsty, you know that there's something you can say that will really cut deep. And if you get to that place, it's not uncommon to hear a voice in you that says, are you sure you want to do this? Because if you do, it's a game changer and there's no going back. <clears throat> it's often at that point that a person will simply walk out, walk out of the room, take themselves out of the fight because they don't, something stopped them from crossing that last Rubicon, from actually saying that last thing that would actually end this relationship. So they take themselves out of the fight and later they think, thank you. Thank God I did this. They don't even realize that something made them stop mm. themselves from what they could not and would not otherwise have stopped. That's how grace works. Mm. That's beautiful. In your new book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, you say for the first time in history, we don't know what we believe in. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I think there's a number of reasons for that. One is that we have experienced globally mm. a mass exodus from traditional religions. And for the first time, we feel safe doing that. We feel safe leaving traditions um, for social reasons, for um, sexual reasons, for we don't want constraints on us for moral reasons, for we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want, okay. So that means we threw out ethics. We threw out morals. We threw out all of the traditional guidelines and guideposts that kept that inner metronome of this is right, this is wrong, collectively flowing. We don't have the same religious education that that governs society, the generations in which previous generations grew up. Mm. So we thought, we don't need that. We don't need collective values. We don't need collective beliefs about what is good and what is evil. We don't need any of that. We can just go on our own. Look at this world. Do you think we're doing any good at it? No, we're not. You talk a lot about being governed by the sacred laws of the universe can you take us through what those are? What I can say is that the laws of science, physical, yeah. 
laws are a reflection of the mystical laws. Mm -hmm. They're one and the same. So if there's cause and effect down here, there's cause and effect in the mystical world. And if there's choice and consequence, there's choice and consequence in the mystical world. The physical world is the caboose on the train. The mystical is the engine. You have to have thought before you do something. So your soul is like the engine of creation. Mm. You have to consider something before you do it. You have to have an inspiration before you act. So that the non-physical world is actually your power laboratory. And so these laws are the governing laws of creation. By the time something's created, by the time a disease is in your body, it's the caboose on the train. You've already created it. By the time you're experiencing something, you've already made all the choices that organize the moment you're in. You're at the caboose on the train. You're not at the beginning of the story. You're at the end of it. Mm. You're at the end of it. Not the beginning. By the time you arrive at the party, all the plans have been made. Yes. You have to get that. So that the moment, the, the, the inception of something occurs long before you see it. So where are the real positive laws? I mean, where are the real powerful laws? Yeah. They're in the invisible, in the sacred realm. And that's why you pray. You say, tell me what to do. Mm. Tell me what choice you want me to make. And that will engage the forces of creation. Why do you think that words and prayer especially is so powerful? They are what you say, the vessels that are filled with light or dark. And that prayer is our channel to the divine. Those are the tools that you have that through which you can express what it is you're experiencing. Mm. You know, so you can say this is great, this is not great, this is fascinating, or this is frightening. The word you decide to pick is how you frame the reality you're standing in. So you could say, this is very curious, or this is very awful. And the word you say then frames the molecules around you. Mm. So if you see it as a victim, you engage, all the laws engage according to the word that you use. That is so unbelievably powerful. And there is a story that you have told many times that I have heard that I would like you to to tell today. And it absolutely changed the way that I looked upon prayer and how how effective and how how all our prayers are heard. It's this beautiful story about a lady who was involved in a car accident. Oh. Wish I could tell you the the whole setting for that, the whole way it came about, the whole drama of that whole absurd wild weekend Uh, the absurdity of that weekend that was supposed to have thousands of people at this workshop Sarah thousands and 10 people showed up 
the whole thing was bizarre. And then, I mean, the whole thing was bizarre. The whole thing, the whole weekend was like one big surreal thing. So when I was getting driven home, I mean, the whole thing was like something out of a nightmare. (laughs) And when she said, I'm driving you home and I got in the car, I could not wait for this crazy weekend. And I wanted to go into my hotel room. I wanted to order dinner and I just wanted to sit in this hotel room by myself in quiet. And she said, well, let me tell you about myself. And I wanted to say, no, I don't want to hear one more crazy story. I don't want to hear anything. Do you understand me? Just get me back to my hotel. But she was sweet and she was driving. And I thought, okay, I'll listen to one more story. And she said, you know, you might be interested in that. I was, I was uh, in a car accident, you know. She said, and I was, and I, just as an aside, had been engaged to a guy who did all this research in near-death experiences. Oh, wow. I'm, I really, I used to laugh that I'd have dinner parties where I was the only one who hadn't died, you know. And so she said, and I had this near-death experience in this car crash. And she said, and I found myself hovering over my body, shattered. And she said, and the next thing I know, she said, I look, I could hear what people were saying in all the cars behind my shattered car. She said, I could hear them. They were saying like, oh, this is just what I need. Oh, damn, a crash. Oh, how long is this going to take? And blah, blah, blah. And the way people responded. She said, but from the fifth car, this light was shot up to the heavens and then went straight into my body. And she, th- she said, even in this state of near death, hovering over her body, she thought, what's going on there? And she was right next to this woman who had bowed her head in prayer for me. Mm. Me, a perfect stranger. She was praying for me. And those prayers were immediately being delivered to me. And she said, I wondered, who is, she, who is this woman? And instantly I saw her, her license plate and I memorized it. And she said, and then my guide, my angel said, come on, I have to get you back in your body. This isn't your time to come home. And she said, and then the angel told her, it's going to be painful, your recovery. It'll take a long time, but you'll get there. And it took her six months. And at the end of it, she looked this woman up. And she showed up at her home with flowers and said, I want to thank you for those prayers. I know it was you. I'm the woman you prayed for. That's pretty incredible. That story, Carolyn, changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. So that's why I wanted you to tell it today. It's it's unbelievable. I, I, I mean, my story that I have is absolutely nothing in comparison to that, but to show people how much prayer actually works. I had a few years ago, was in a terrible job and I had a shocking year and I was lying in bed one night and you know when you think, oh, I should only save my prayers for the really special occasions? <laughs> that was my old way of thinking. I thought, okay, 
God, really special just for special occasions. occasions. That is one of the best lines I have ever heard in my life. Because ever. you know, you've just given me a a line. Please use it. Because I thought I don't want to use them up. I don't know why I thought this. I thought I don't want to use them up. And only when I mean absolute real tragedy do I need to use the prayer. And this was time. I, w- I was in a really bad way. And I, I didn't even know, Carolyn, who I was praying to. I just looked up, I remember, at, at the ceiling and I said, please, I don't know how I got into this situation of having this terrible job and working in these horrible, horrible surroundings. I just asked, and then I was actually quite specific, and I know this is really not the way to be. I said, can you please give me a job that I, I do like working at this company, but please, a job with nicer people, <laughs> still still part-time because I'm so tired and I, I have young kids and I've been working, you know, nearly seven days a week and I can't do it anymore, so please make it part-time. And I actually said I still love the entertainers that I work with and I love working with these big entertainers, but please make them nice people. Carolyn, within two weeks I was told my job was moving to Sydney and I live in Melbourne and I thought, oh, God, this has not gone the way I have. So not only did I not want the job, now I don't have any job. And then suddenly, two weeks later after that, after tears and God knows what I'm going to do, I've been at this company for so many years, I get approached by the general manager of our company who said to me, Sarah, we're starting up this other area. Basically, cut a long story short, I was working with Australia's biggest entertainers, they allowed me to work four days a week and it was the best job with the nicest people I could ever have asked for. Every minute detail of my prayer was answered and it, that blew me away, absolutely blew me away. So there is no doubt in my mind that that there is that something is listening, that, that there, is, there is a divine presence that listens to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you said thank you. I did. I, I, I've said thank you many, many times. Many tears, <laughs> many tears of, of absolute gratitude have, have been cried in thanks. I wanted to ask you, the universe, you say, is designed to favour the power of light. There's a lot of darkness surrounding us in, in, in our different countries at the moment. How, how do we still have that thought of that it is designed to, the universe is designed to favour the power of light in, in those times of darkness? I know, I know. It's, it's a question, how do we reconcile all this darkness, right? And, and, um, and I think that there's a law of balance. Mm. And, I, and I, I think that we oftentimes, we don't see the activity of light because dark is so obvious because dark is so loud because dark is so big and it looks like dark always has the upper hand Mm. lights a quieter agent it works more behind the scenes and it works more within us 
and it works in ways that are not quite as commercial and not quite light works more within people. Dark more works more within structures. You, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's where you see greed in action mm-hmm. and, and the obvious destructive forces. So it's really hard during times of war, during times of change. But I look, for example, at this virus. And I think before this virus imploded everywhere, exploded everywhere, if, if you really can recall what the Atmos, psychic atmosphere in the world was like. We were living in an atmosphere of anticipation of something happening, mm. of something catastrophic happening all the time. Was it going to be from North Korea? Was it going to be from us? Was it going to be from here? What We were living in a catastrophic psychic field. Was it going to be Israel, Iran? What? What was going to happen we were living and breathing catastrophe. It was all the time. We were anticipating some kind of agent that was going to activate the next phase of our rejuggling the elements of life. Mm. And then this happened. And this virus has the message of heal, all of you. Stop it and heal. Stop and heal. And that's what it's causing us to do. And I find it very curious that through the years of my work, one of the comments people have made so often is, I need my own space. And now they have it. Mm. COVID has isolated people. COVID has put people into their own homes and their own places. And what it's doing is it's actually giving people a yearning to have community, a yearning to be with each other, which is exactly what light, the work of light a yearning for us to squeeze the hell out of each other and touch each other and say, oh my God, have I missed you? Oh my God, have I missed you? So all the while, darkness is in its busy little destructiveness. The rest of us are finding ways to create new forms of education, new forms of communication. The air is getting clearer. And we are finding ways of adapting and healing and moving on to create a different form of oneness. Mm. Because the, the new template is become whole. Now, we know that template because it, it downloaded into us decades ago in the form of holistic health, but we never really applied that to anything else but our health when we personally were sick and went to the doctor. We never said, you know what I think? How's this going to work 
for the whole planet? How's this going to work for politics? How's this going to work for theology? How's this going to work for life? Because we weren't interested in that. We're only interested in it for ourselves. And that's our narcissism and selfishness. And so now we're getting the, we're getting the garbage kicked out of us because we never applied this to the globe. How did we become so separated? You know, we go from oneness and then we come into separation. How, how did there become such a divide between me and the next person? Because you think it's all about you. Mm. And because you think my opinion is so important, my this. People have made themselves their spiritual path. I cannot tell you how many people have said to me, I know I was born for something important. Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, if I hear that again. The need to be recognized, the need to be noticed, the need to be important. It's so bloody consuming. And, and that is the fear of someone else getting there first. Mm. Getting where? Where are you going? I mean, the, the thought that someone might have more than you. And this is only enhanced by that damn Facebook. And, and, and so the narcissism has gotten out of hand. People get up and the first thing they do is grab their computer and check out me. Check out me. Check out myself. Who's talking to me? Who's this? Who's that? They can't exist without that. The checking out of themselves. Mm. The, the big me. And, and how unfortunate is that? But there you are. It is. It is unfortunate. And it's unfortunate that a lot, of, a lot of powerful people have put importance on things like that. There is a huge separation. You know, and, and that's exactly the opposite of what the truth is. Yes. Because the mystical truth is we're all interconnected. Mm. We're all one. But in fact, all the choices we are making are going in the opposite direction of that. Something you say in your book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, when we pray, what is basically given to us is not about our happiness. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that? Well, tell me something. What makes you happy? A lot of the time it's that, you know, having beautiful relationships with people, seeing my kids being well, being, f being fulfilled and being of service. That's what makes me happy. Uh -huh. Is that the same thing that would make you happy today? Is that the same thing that would make you happy yesterday? Is that the same thing that would make you happy tomorrow? Mm. No, not at all. Because you answered me in theory. Yes. Not at all. But what is consistent with God is that you are always refining the truth about what it is I really need. That will always be the same. So finding out what doesn't make you happy, finding out why something is the way it is, that quest will always be the same. What is real and what is not? That singular quest, is this really what I need or is this? That one question will always be the same. Is this really the truth here? Do I really need this or do I really need this? 
I thought this would make, this has nothing to do with my happiness. This is here today, gone tomorrow. But, but my whole sense of self that I contain, that I need, that clarity is something I need every day. Mm. That sense of clarity that I rely upon, no matter how old I get, no matter when my children grow up and leave home, I must have that sense of clarity. That's what the universe attends to. Not what, what, what makes you happy is going to change moment to moment, day mm-hmm. to day. It's fleeting, but not clarity. Are our prayers always answered? Always. But, but let me be clear here. Mm. Not an answer is also an answer. So, for example, heaven doesn't do stupid. So when someone says, can you help me pay my gambling debt? so I could go gamble again. That would be stupid. And that would be, are you kidding me? Can I win the lotto so I can go gamble again? That would be like a big no and a stupid. That would be a stupid. Don't go there. Because mm. that's just not going to, that's not going to happen. And, and can you make sure that person doesn't know I lied? That would be a no. That's a big stupid. So you have to understand that heaven's not in the business of stupid. It's in the business of truth. Death is obviously something that's quite difficult for all of us and death of a loved one is is something that that is very hard and mourning the loss of a family member. You have... A beautiful prayer I'd like you to read. It's from your book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine. It's Prayer 7. And it's, I think it would give a lot of people grace to listen to it, and especially if, if they've ever lost a close one or, or are uh, in the midst of losing someone close to them. This is be- the, from the passing of my dear cousin, Marilyn, whom I loved as a sister. I loved her with all my heart. Today, Lord, a member of my family left us and came home to you. We shall grieve her passing for a long time. I knew she was dying. At times I could see she wanted to die. Not because her physical pain was so great, Lord, but because her soul wanted to leave. She knew it, and she was forcing herself, her soul, to stay here a while longer. We could not let each other go. I am so sad. And yet I'm deeply aware that she could feel your light calling her home. She mentioned it to me. And once, just once, she saw your light and said, not yet, please. Maybe you let her stay a few more weeks. Or maybe you wanted her to get a glimpse of where she was going. I do, I do know that she was not afraid at all. She had a calmness about her, a knowingness that you would be waiting for her. I'm picturing her with you now. Like all of us who come into life and then return home again, I imagine an endless flow of souls to and from this earth. Her passing reminds me yet again of how brief and precious each life is. It is difficult for me to comprehend that her life has come to an end, but that is how quickly life is over, just like that. 
we mourn, Lord, because we cannot comprehend the swiftness of our own lifetime. Lord, keep me mindful that being alive is a gift, a precious gift, and that no day of my life will ever come again. Mm. You said nothing lasts forever, not even the most difficult passages of light. Mm-hmm. What's made you realize that? I think just I've lived long enough. You know, I'm not a teenager. And uh, I've had very wise parents, very wise teachers. And you just realize that, that not, nothing bad lasts forever, nothing painful lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I also realize that there is a lot of wisdom and grace in, in truly, like the Francis prayer, ex, the serenity prayer, accepting what you cannot change. And also, I think my inner theology has matured enough to where I don't take things personally. Death is not personal for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all the mourning and all the loss of so many of my family members, and believe me, I have lost a lot. But it's not personal. I mean, death is part of life. And I would prefer that they were here, but they're not. Mm. And I'm not far behind. I'm not a young woman. So I may have 25, 30 years left. But, um, and that's not a long time. So I... And I'm not afraid to leave the planet. So I, I am very mindful of how short these, these little excursions in this life are. Mm. And um, the idea that somehow death or birth is personal, we're mistaken. I mean, nobody says when when a child is born, how could that happen to us? <laughs> I mean, but but oh my God, how could that happen to us? I mean, oh God, we're we're so upset. How could we possibly have no? But the same thing is true with death. Mm. It's you know, and it's 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 very difficult to say farewell, but it's temporary too. It really is. I think it's very hard to lose children, to lose your mate, to lose your spouse. But and it, but it's, and and how you have to adjust your life. And but as time goes by, life fills in those blanks, and it does. You speak about how life is short, and we need to be the. We need to be kind to one another and our actions have such consequences. There's a beautiful story that that you tell and it's about a guy that had a near-death experience and he goes back and then he's taken through times in his life and I'll let you tell the story but there's a beautiful time when he's a child and he sees the consequences of his actions. He was a construction worker and, and apparently very successful and he 
um, had an accident, so he had to have a surgery. And on his way home from the hospital, his mother had picked him up at the hospital and they stopped for something. And um, obviously they thought he was okay because he had been released from the hospital. And his mother goes into the store to pick something up. And while he's sitting in the car, he begins to feel really funky. Mm-hmm. Like he thought something's wrong with my heart. So he thinks I need help. So he makes his way into the store and he has a heart attack. And they call resuscitation. They call 911 and, and um, he has a near-death experience. And in that experience, he's shown small details of his life. Details that he had never even thought about. Minuscule events, incidences. But he was shown the consequences of actions Mm -hmm. that he would have thought, never thought about again, to show how powerful these choices are. When he was a child, ate something like that, he was in a store and he stole something, something, a dime worth a dime, a nickel, who knows, 25 cents. But, and he never thought anything of it again, but the owner of the store saw it. Mm. And the owner didn't say anything, but he saw that for the owner, this was a really heartbreaking thing. Because it was like the straw on the camel's back that that um, he so thought of children as innocent and sweet. And, and it was like one more kid is a thief. And that was it. It broke his heart. He didn't want to have the store anymore. And he could, and, and in reviewing this and seeing this, he realized, oh my God, I was the one that changed his life just because I took this. So it wasn't that little object. It was this whole thing set that chain reaction in motion. Then he saw that as a young man, he had been kind to someone for just a second. He helped a stranger. And again, he never thought twice about it, but he was shown the consequence of that and how that man was so touched by that action and how that changed his attitude toward young people and the consequence of that. And these, this life review in which he wasn't shown big deal things, but these tiny little choices, and in fact, that none of them were tiny, that in fact, there's no such thing as a small choice. Mm. That ev- and, and in fact, that every single choice is, is paid attention to because everyone is a creative thread yeah. that is attached to everybody everywhere. And that is the nature of God. That's such an unbelievable story. How did it change that man's life? He became a priest. <laughs> he became a priest. Yeah. Because for him, God was, that's it. God is everything. Mm. Not God is everywhere. God is everything. How has prayer changed your life? Um, I think my life 
has changed. It's not prayer that's changed my life. Mm. It's my life as a medical intuitive. Yes. That changed my life. When I, he, everybody, everybody that I worked with has changed my life because the more readings I've done, the more I realized how intimate God is with us, how powerful every choice we make is, how incredibly powerful the soul is, how every word we say is a prayer because it's so powerful, that the last thing we are is helpless, that we are incredible acts, agents of creation. We just don't get it. We just don't get it. So I thought it's more important for me to teach that. And I realized that we're so powerful that we need prayer to direct that power. Like, what do you want me to do with this today? That's it. You say surrendering is one of what's something that can be so unbelievably difficult. And it's one of the graces of the divine we're not giving up when we surrender, which I think a lot of people think that we are. We kind of step into the flow of our lives. Mm-hmm. Why is surrendering so hard? And what is the grace that we can get from surrendering? Well, I think surrender looks like, well, look, think of what the word means. I surrender, I give up. Yes. I give up. And so, and it's, it's really associated with, I have just failed at this. I have to give up. I'm just, I'm just so, you know, unable. But in fact, and I was always fascinated with the mystics because of surrender, Mm. you know, Um, everything about the mystics fascinate me, but um, their whole way of their whole active forgiveness, I mean, surrender, was always about when they realized how powerful every action, every choice, every part of their soul was, they thought, "Mm -mm, I don't want to screw things up here. So I am surrendering my power back to you. Yes. And it's just this incredible act of power that says, I don't give up. I'm giving it back. So you tell me what you want me to do. I need an allied ship with you because you've given me too strong a vehicle. I finally get it. I finally get it. That this, this is... All of this down here is here because we're creating this. Mm. We are participating. Like Buddha said, this is all illusion. It'll go away in a second if you changed your myth, if you changed your attitude, if you changed your connection, everything would disappear. And Buddha got that. And that is a high mystical truth. Um, so... But we can't we can't imagine uniting ourselves like yeah. that because we think our personal opinion is so important. We have to be heard. We have to be recognized. And like, oh Christ Jesus! Do you practice surrendering a lot in your life? I I think I might. I think I do. 
I think I do. I think I do because I'll oftentimes go to bed and say, work it out. I'll see you in the morning. And that's my prayer. Yes. Work it out. I just, this, this is, I do something, work it out. I'm stressed and I'm going to bed. And that's my prayer. Yeah. You know, I don't know what you want to do here. Tell me what to do. And I've just had a weekend like that where I had to help a friend get out of a domestic abuse situation. And I didn't know how to counsel her. And I said in my prayers, I don't know what to say. This isn't my situation. I don't have to live the consequences of this. So I, I don't know what to say, but you put me in this situation. She called me. So you must have done something here or given her my phone number. So you tell me what to do because mm. I don't have to live the consequences. So if you've got a message for her, you better talk to me and I'm going to sleep. And that's so I surrendered to that. I yes. said, I have no, my hands are not on this steering wheel. So you talk to me. I'm, I'm going to bed. That's how I pray. You say that all life breathes together and it's a line that you, you say a lot and is so unbelievably beautiful. What do you mean by that? Well, we really are all one creation. You know, the, the, you know I'm teaching a class in shortly, in a few hours, my, my reflections class. And one of the prayers I go into tonight is called Holy Imagination. And that's a prayer in the book. And we simply cannot comprehend that we're all made of the same stuff because we really do believe here's a wall, there's a country, you're in Australia, I'm here in the United States. And this distance means we're really apart. Mm. But in fact, we're all one system of energy that has, like, if we could see mist, can you imagine a bunch of mist in the air? Mm. Just if everything was just like a bunch of mist and the mist eventually becomes rain and then the rain has to, falls into a bunch of ice cube trays. So one ice cube tray looks like Australia and one looks like New Zealand and one looks like Bali and one looks like India and one looks like Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan. And we just keep going, mm. but they're just ice cube trays. And they, and the ice cube trays have are holding mist that has solidified, but it's all one and the same thing, isn't it? Yes. It's just, and it's the illusion of the ice cube trays mm. that we're caught into but it's all the same thing. It's just the ice cube. It's just that it's frozen into ice down here, but it's all the same mist and the mystical laws, the laws still operate at mist speed. We're all misting in the, in the energy world. It's just that you can't see it when you're Mm -hmm. stuck in an ice cube tray. And I'm not stuck in an ice cube tray. No, you're definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most mystical experience that you have ever had? I couldn't do my work without 
feeling a deep, a deep and profound connection to the divine. And I trust that connection more than I trust that I have shoes on. And um, I, I am very much aware that I have crossed into the world where the choices I make in my life now are to protect and serve that connection more than my physical world. More than my physical world. So my, my inner world has a priority and I know and it is an anguish because I know how often I simply break the laws how often I drop the ball and how often I just blow it because of a temper or because I have a judgment and I know the consequences of that and I try very hard all the time to repair that because I know I know it matters mm. I know we're being observed heaven does not interfere with our choices but it does guide us and it does matter if you are kind to someone or if you're not mm. and what I would say as as a closing comment, really, is that a person, regardless of what they believe and how they see, if they could only keep this inner metronome, either I grace this situation or I withhold grace. Why would you withhold grace mm. from somebody or something? Why would you not bring grace upon a moment? Why would you not do that? And when I ask people that, why would you not grace the situation? Why would you not contribute kindness? Why would you not contribute? And if you can't contribute, why would you not just be quiet and, and at least say the prayer, let me do no harm? If I can't at least empower somebody, let me not hurt them with a word or a negative attitude. At least, and the difference that makes in the world is so incredible. That's mm. so powerful. What is your favorite prayer? I am fond of mm. the Our Father and the Hail Mary. I am. I'm just an old-fashioned girl. What is a life of greatness to you? You know, I think my mother my mom doesn't just takes care of people. I mean, all her life, she just, she said, I only ever wanted to be a mom, a good mom, and just look after my family. And by God, she, that's what she did. She still does. She's 93. And she, she didn't want anything else out of life. And I think, Doing what you came to do 
and doing it with love and taking care of everybody who's come your way the best you can. And not ever sitting around thinking, I want more, 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 more. She's never done that. Mm-hmm. She's just been content with look at, with with her life as it is. And that's an infectious joy. How much do people, does anyone want? And I, and I love that. Simple is good. It's very good. Carolyn, thank you for dedicating your life's work to teaching. Your wisdom has changed my life in the most profound ways, as well of the lives of so many others. My deepest gratitude to you. Mine back to all of you. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.